Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. This morning I'm going to begin a talk, and I don't know, this might turn into a series because I've just found some things interesting, and I'm calling this things that make you go, hmm, because there are so many things in the scripture that you read, and it just makes you go, huh, what is that about? So this morning, we're going to talk about the TV game show Jeopardy. We're going to talk about Christian revivals or crusades, as they used to be called. Uh, we're going to talk about dirty eyeglasses and climbing trees. You guys up for that? Sure, why not? What choice do you have, right? <laughs> well, we can leave. Okay. Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 15. And as we're there, we're, we're going to talk about two different passages. We're going to look at how they're connected. And I think there's something in both these passages, at least that made me go, hmm, what's going on here? In Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 15, we read, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Those disciples, these are the leaders of the church. Bringing kids to Jesus? What's wrong with you? Imagine that, okay? They rebuked him, but Jesus called them to him and said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not inherit it. That last passage made me go, hmm, right? Those who don't receive the kingdom like a child can't enter it. What does that mean? I would like a little more clarity. You know, how do I know what that looks like? There's so many places my mind can go, but it seems like we're kind of left hanging there. 
And it's almost like the game show Jeopardy, right? You know, it's like, uh, you know, I'd like to take uh, like a child for 400, please. Okay, it's innocence. Okay, good. Ding, ding, ding. You know, like a child for 800. Okay, it is trusting. Okay, ding, you know, is it all these things? Do I have to kind of guess what things they are to find out? And I think he's going to give us more information on that. But this is one of these things that are foundational to us entering into the kingdom. And so when we say, I'd like to know more, are you going to explain more? Yes, he is. And it's meant to prompt your curiosity. Okay, even infants. It's important that he note, he even mentions infants because now we're talking about just little babies. How does a little baby qualify to enter the kingdom of heaven? What does a baby do? Hmm, right? I wonder, like, what is he trying to get us to? And so then he shifts, or it seems to shift, and in verse 18, we continue with another story. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So enter the kingdom, eternal life. Here are two things that are being presented out here. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I wonder, when you go to, or if you've ever gone to, a a Christian revival or crusade, you know, one of these big meetings where they all get together and someone gives this gospel message so that everyone can make a decision. And they say, you know, if you would like to enter into the kingdom of God or, or what must you do to receive eternal life? Why no one ever quotes this scripture, right? If you're wondering in your heart what you must do to receive eternal life, right? It usually goes something like you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him to the dead. And if you will announce that and come forward here, then you will be saved. And everyone says, yeah, 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 that's it. What would happen if one of these people say, what must you do to be, enter eternal life? You must sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Come on down. And everyone gets up and walks away, right? It's like, no one ever talks about this. And when you hear this passage, I don't know about you, but something just kind of pushes up against you and say, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean by this? What is happening here? What is Jesus getting at? And is the pastor going to ask me to give all my money? And see, one of the things that we have to understand, as he talked about in the first story and in this one, when he talks about 
the kingdom of heaven and he talks about entering eternal life, they're really the same thing. You see, we have this idea eternal life is what happens after you die and life goes on and on and on. But to the people at Jesus' time, eternal life was a part of God's reign of justice, of mercy, of grace. What do I have to do to inherit or be a part of what God is doing so that I can be in on the building of God's kingdom? And so the rich young ruler, as he's known, asked Jesus, how do I get in on what God is doing on God's kingdom? Jesus just says, we have to be like a child to enter in to this kingdom. And it's important that we have this understanding because then we say that when he says, good teacher, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Again, another one of those questions that just said, or passages that make me go, hmm, why would you say that? I mean, it almost seems like the guy was trying to be nice and then you just diss him like that. What's going on? But really what's happening through both of these passages is that there's an unveiling taking place. That this kingdom of God, the the reign of God, the rule of God, God showing up, his grace, his mercy. That's what God is doing. You call me good because that's what God is doing. And you don't recognize that I am here doing just that. That what you have wanted to see, I'm introducing it. I'm bringing it out. I'm making it known. I'm unveiling it here before you. And you see, I think this ruler was expecting something to take place maybe in the future. I think many Christians do the same thing. Oh, I want to be a part of, you know, the kingdom of God. And that's something that happens, you know, after I die and go to heaven or eternal life is something that happens after I die. Then I keep getting to live with God. But what Jesus was doing was ushering the kingdom of God in right there, right then. And he says, why do you call me good? There's only one good. Do you see that God is doing this good work right now through me? trying to open his eyes to see what is taking place at this time. And then Jesus answers him. And and I, I have to assume that this ruler was sincere. It doesn't say he was trying to test Jesus. He says, hey, I, I want to know... What do I have to do to be a part of God's kingdom? And he'd probably heard the rabbis, but he knows that this rabbi is unique. He's doing some miraculous things. Maybe he's got an inside on what is happening. And so he says, you know, can I get that inside information? Can you illuminate me what I have to do to be a part of the work of God that he's going to be doing? And then Jesus starts telling him the Ten Commandments. He doesn't even get through them. And I'm wondering if he's a little disappointed, like, I've heard this already. I've done this since I was a kid. I've been there. I've done that. And there's kind of like, yeah, this is nothing new that you're telling me. And and I wonder if he expected what was coming. I, I wonder if he knew that the answer that Jesus gave was going to be very dangerous, I wonder if he knew that what Jesus was about to say was going to take him out of his comfort zone completely. 
I wonder if he was aware that Jesus was going to zero in on what needed to take place most in his heart. Because as Jesus presses in to tell him these things, when he asks these things, he says, there's one thing that you lack, which is interesting. Lack? What is he lacking? It seems like he's got too much. It seems like he's got so much stuff that he's not able to enter in. Val, can you turn the air off a little? (laughs) It's off, by the way, just so you know. It it seems like this rich ruler has too much, but Jesus says that there's something he actually is lacking, that his possessions actually were evidence that something was still missing. That although he had all of this, he needed something else. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus talks about this kind of a situation. He says that no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And it's interesting that he uses the word mammon, which is Aramaic, and it alludes to wealth, but it's actually the God of money. It's idolatry. You cannot serve God and have this idolatry of wealth. And Jesus used the word that would see this in that way, that it's seen as idolatry because we we make gods of all sorts of things. We we trust in all sorts of things. And and Jesus suggests that this tension that we have oftentimes with God and our life around us is actually a source of our anxieties. That's what this passage in Matthew is talking about. Look at the birds. They don't, you know, toil. They don't spin, yet God cares for them. And aren't you much more valuable than them? And look at the flowers. They don't have to do these things. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these things. And here you're worrying about so many things that this tension we have between what we have and who God is is a cause for our anxiety. And all of a sudden, this picture starts to clarify of this child who will enter the kingdom of God, who we must become like. And I started thinking, what infant do I know that is worried or cares about money? Right? If you were to put a stack of $100 bills over here and a bunch of cars over here and you let my grandson loose he would go straight for the cars, right? Those bills mean nothing to his security. What what he wants is love. He wants affection. And and money has no place in his idea of security. It's not what brings him comfort. It's not what brings him security. And wealth or, or status or all the things that come with that 
He has no concern about those things. They mean absolutely nothing to him. He's not stressed out if he's going to be able to get that fill in the blank. And the truth is what makes this passage uncomfortable is by the world's standards, we all are rich. You may not feel like it, but trust me, if you travel the world in some places, you are among the elite. How many of you have a TV? How many of you have running water? You have hot water? You that don't raise your hands, what's going on here? Where, <laughs> you know hot water at your place, right? You, you see, these are, are things that we have, and we just assume that it's a... Everyone has these things. But there are people who have to hike to get water. There are people who have no running water. There are people who have no sewage to be able to flush things down the toilet. There are people who do not have the opportunity to eat three meals a day. They don't have refrigerators. There are people who do not have cars who have to walk everywhere. I mean, this is the condition of our world overall, and we don't have that. See, you are rich according to the world's standards. And I I wonder, what do you worry about? How many of us worry about money and finances and if we're going to be able to make ends meet? And how many of us worry about what things we don't have? How many of us compare ourselves to others, what they have and what we don't have? I do, okay? I'm going to just be honest, okay? You can leave if you want later. I'm not going to go to that church. That pastor's got issues. I do. When I go and do training, I go to some of these homes, and I'm like, you know, where do you live as they have the Lamborghini in the garage? And, you know, oh, I don't know if the dog should go to the bathroom on the marble here. It's like, no, he shouldn't, you know. Um, it's it's just you see some of these places and you say, oh, go ahead, you know, I'll get the dog from you or out here in a minute. And you find the dog's got his own room and you're looking at the ocean and you're just like, I want to be a dog in this person's life. <laughs> There's times I just start, man, I wish I had some of these things. And I do. I look at things. I look at cars. I look at gadgets. And I, I want those things. And it creates anxiety in me. And I start to desire things. And maybe something is being pushed here that I need to be aware of. Maybe there's something going on here. Now, Jesus isn't asking for every rich person everywhere to liquidate their materials. There were a lot of rich people who he encountered. He never asked anything of them. So it's not about everyone everywhere has to to give up their money. For the ruler here, it was the one thing he had accumulated or had accumulated in his life over a lifetime. He had a lot. And so it was hard for him to leave all that he had, even if it was something that was good for him. I can't just leave this. I've inherited some of this. This is my family's business. It it, it involves so many people. And in a sense, he is now in bondage to this 
wealth that he has. And Jesus is trying to push and get to the point. It's his attachment to the riches and his possessions that now has hold of him. There's something you lack. You are not free because these things have hold of you. You are attached so much that you don't see the bondage. What thing do you have to do? Well, you have to get rid of this bondage. And then he left sad. Again, in contrast, how much wealth, power, status, influence does a child have? They don't. But most children are happier than adults. And it's not just because those things are taken care of. I've seen children in impoverished countries that are happier than people who have plenty. I've seen adults in impoverished countries that are happier than most of the people I know in the United States. And these people live five people in a shack, dirt floor, and they're generous and they're smiling and they're happy. And you're thinking, you can't be happy. Don't you see where you live? Don't you see the lack you have? Wait a second. Wait a second. Who's lacking? What's lacking? You know, and as Jesus starts to tell him what he needs, he he starts listing the Ten Commandments, which is interesting, I think, because I I think it's the foundation. These things that he he mentioned, not to commit murder, adultery, all the things that are listed in those commandments, they are necessary. They're a foundation. This this man was good in these things, and and what these things do is, is they help us to kind of see what the kingdom looks like. It's a direction. It's a roadmap. Having these kind of morals and this boundary helps us to understand a little bit more the direction that God is doing and what he's doing in these things. These virtues are foundational. We, we can't neglect those and think that the kingdom of God is going to be anything else or apart from these things. And, and so he starts here because these things help him to see what the kingdom is built on. It's built on this justice. It's built on this boundary that's considerate and caring of those around them and of God. That, that's what it's built on. But you see, he had known these things, but he, he, he wasn't seeing deep enough. It wasn't quite clear. His, his glasses were dirty and he couldn't get to past the superficial things. Nothing bothers me more than when my glasses get dirty. That's one thing I hate about having glasses is you have to clean them. And if I don't have them, I don't have to clean them because everything's blurry, right? I I can see nothing. But you ever get like a smudge and it's oil or grease and you try to wipe it and it just makes it worse? And then you try and you spit on it and you're trying and it's just like, and there's this little, you know, I'll be talking to someone and there's this little swirl in the corner of my eye and it's like, oh man, all I can do is focus on those things. You see... When your vision is blurred, you don't see clearly what needs to take place. And this ruler's vision was blurred by all the things he had. He saw the foundation. He knew what it was, but it wasn't quite clear. And he had to get to a place. What he lacked was the clarity to see what was behind this foundation of virtue. What was underneath it? What was 
God really wanting? When I was about five or six years old, I lived in East, no, I lived in Whittier, but I would go to Pico Rivera with my cousins and go to school. And then my mom would come and pick me up and take me back. And what I loved to do, not only there at my cousin's house, but everywhere, I loved to climb trees. When I was about five or six, I just couldn't get enough of climbing trees. And I'd want to get to the very top of a tree. If it was a big tree, I had to go up it. And I did some crazy stuff with trees. If there are trees that were close together, I would go and hang out on one branch so I can get to the other tree and climb up on the other tree, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know, no brains. It's a miracle I'm alive. I just loved climbing trees. And I can remember climbing to the top of the tree and just having this feeling of serenity. I could see the neighborhood. And then I would like to swing on the tree. I would just start... And, get, and you could get a good rock going on that tree, right? And then I would sing. And one time, my cousin, she was coming home from school. I was already home. I was up on the top of the tree, which you could see from the neighborhood. And she saw me swinging back and forth and singing at the top of my lungs, It's Been a Hard Day's Night by the Beatles. And I remember her coming into the backyard and going, Sammy, what are you doing? And I was like, what? What do you mean? You see, I was in my own world. I was up in this tree and I was just having a good time. And and I can remember there would be times when there would just be a stillness. And I just felt that I had a purpose. And it wasn't just about me. It was that life had a purpose. And I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't know what it was, but I, I felt that there was an understanding of God that was very peaceful, that was very clear, that I was loved, that life was good, that I was cared for by more than just my mom. And I wonder if as a child, there was this purity, this kind of foundational virtue that allowed me to actually experience God. One of my favorite Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Again, I don't think that's when you die you get to, I think... That is a reality for those who are pure in heart here and now. There is a seeing of God that takes place in their life. And I wonder if that's what I was tasting just a little bit when I was younger. I can remember a few times, too, when I came to faith in Christ and and I experienced God's love in an overpowering way where I just felt like God said, I love you when I wasn't feeling lovely. And, and I don't know how to explain it except that God was close. There was nothing between us. And I felt that it was so near and I, I would like to live in that place with nothing between I've shared this before when I think when God told Moses, take your sandals off for the ground you're on is holy. It's because God wanted nothing between Moses and him. God was actually trying to get closer, not having some kind of dress code. 
that God was pushing in. And you see, this rich ruler, with all that he had, with all that he knew, there was still something between him. And it was that wealth, it was that care, it was those things that he was living for instead of the thing, God, that he should have been living for. And I think that with all of us, there is a thing. You know, I I know a lot of times we'll hear people saying, you know, oh, this is just my one vice. You know, usually we mean something like chocolate, right? Or smoking cigarettes or the bachelorette, right? I mean, it's like my one vice. (laughs) But you see, what Jesus is pushing in on is what is the one thing that is between you and God? What is the one thing that's fogging the vision so that you can't see? Do, Do you understand that these children... They don't have those cares that these infants care not about anything else but the love and interaction that they have with the people around them. That we're really supposed to be like that with our God. And that what God is pushing for, this kingdom, this eternal life, is a life that is with him that is available here and now through the person of Jesus. It is breaking through at that time, and it's breaking through today. And so if you want to know, what must I do to inherit this kingdom? This kingdom is here now. Maybe what you need to do is rebuild that foundation of virtues. Maybe what you need to do is clean the glasses and see that that foundation of virtues wasn't just so you could be good or better than that it was so that you could see clearly the one who loves you and draw close to him. Is there one thing that Jesus would point to you and say, you lack this. This is missing in you. Because if there is, I want you to acknowledge it. A a lot of times I I think, you know, when Jesus is there, if he were talking to me and say, you know, there's one thing you lack, and if he were to name that one thing in my life, you know, oh, Jesus, you don't mean that. And I'd wait for him to just kind of go, yeah, you're right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And he doesn't crack a smile. He doesn't change his expression. He says, I'm serious. I'm serious about this. And so many of his words start to resonate. If you do not love father, mother, sister, brother more than me, you're not worthy. Jesus, these are the things that are most dear to me. I know I'm serious about this relationship. It's really important. And he would be pushing us into something maybe that's so close that it makes us uncomfortable because what it's doing is it's forcing us to change. Here's the thing. The world will not change with all the evil, all the violence, all the things we hate and we see. It will not change with people who have something in between them and the God who made all of this. 
It cannot change in your life if there is something in between you and the God who's given everything to be as close as he can to you. And he's not playing games, but he's not mad. I imagine that if this ruler would have just said, I have so much, I can't do it, will you help me? That Jesus would have said, you bet. You bet I'll help you. I I love the passage where it says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus stepped right in. See, Lord, I believe. I have things, and Lord, I've had these things for years, and I don't want to let them go because, well, I like them. They're, they're a part of my life. I, I get comfort from them. Whatever those things are, I, I just have a hard time. Maybe what we can start with is, Lord, will you help me with this? Instead of continuing to ignore it, instead of pretending it's not there, I'm a, I can go to church and still ignore it, right? I can listen to, you know, podcasts or radio and, and hear sermons about whatever and still ignore the one thing. This man knew those commandments, but he ignored the important thing. The glasses weren't clear. He wasn't seeing what God was trying to convey. And I think that happened so many times to us. I'm here, I believe, but there's something that's got to go. And maybe even this morning as I'm talking about that, that thing is popping up over and over again in your mind. And you're like, oh, that's the thing. That's the thing. Is he done yet? Because I'm uncomfortable. Maybe today is the time where God presses in so close and says, can we deal with this? Maybe the first step is acknowledging it and then saying, I need help with this. So that God can Because this is what he wants for us all. This is what he is pushing us towards. I love at the end of this when Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter in the kingdom. The disciples heard this and said, who then can be saved, right? Who then can be a part of what God is doing? That's what he's talking about. And he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If God has made you aware of it, it is so that he can work there in it. Let him. Let's pray. I'd like to have just a moment where we still our minds from maybe going out to breakfast or other things that are taking place. And I want to kind of sit in the discomfort that might be there, not for the discomfort's sake, but for our sake. I want to give room for God in your life in these areas. And if there is an area that has come up to your 
mind and your heart, there is one thing that has been echoing in your mind over and over again. I want you within your heart and within your mind to say that thing, what it is. You don't say it out loud. We don't need to know. I want you to say it in your heart and your mind because it is a confession in your heart, even to yourself, of what that thing is that God is wanting to address. And I want you to hear Jesus' words that there is one thing that you're lacking. And it is this thing that you've just named. And I want you to repeat in your heart this phrase. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Repeat it again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God, we desire to be the pure in heart. We desire to be as those children. And Lord, these areas that you have revealed to us, we want you to deal with them, show us how to deal with them. We want to move past them. Maybe we need to speak to someone about it. Maybe we need to go to counseling. Maybe we need to go to recovery. Maybe we need to confess to loved one, spouse, this difficult thing might be the area that is keeping us from seeing you at work in our lives. But Lord, we know this to be true, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Would you stand with me? And would you repeat this with me out loud? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God, make that us, we pray. Amen. May you see the kingdom of heaven is near. May you become like a child and enter in. And may whatever is lacking be put aside so that you can see clearly God. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God bless you. Have a tremendous week. Enjoy each other's company. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.